Gets a ball out. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Flippin' Bats with Ben Verlander. Really exciting week of baseball. Lots of storylines to get to, as always. We will also get to our special guest just coming off of a no-hitter this season, Reds starter Wade Miley, as well as the voicemail questions. The Shohei Otani segment this week in Shohei Otani news. And, of course, the six-tool player of the week. But... Let's get right into it with some storylines. And a big one happened this past week. A really cool storyline, actually. The 20,000th player in Major League history made his debut. Jose Godoy of the Seattle Mariners. Fittingly, a backup catcher. Because, of course, it should be. Uh, a really cool milestone. And, and you think about it, that sounds like a big number. But really think about it. If you put 20,000 people in a stadium, in a big league stadium, it's not even half full. And that's how many players in history have played in the major leagues. Now, I have a personal favorite of mine. Uh, it's my brother. Justin Verlander is my favorite player to ever make his debut. And, and I, I'm not exactly sure which what, what number he was on his debut. It, it was a long time ago. I'm not even sure if they were keeping the stat back then. But I do have some stats from when he debuted Gas was 10 cents a gallon when my brother debuted. The number one movie in the box office, The Godfather. And the president at the time, Richard Nixon. So congrats to all 20,000 players that have made it. <laughs> a really cool, uh, really cool stat and, and something really cool that happened this year. But seriously, my brother's definitely my favorite. Absolutely. Um, on to some more news. A little more uh, drama if you will, involved in this one. Happened earlier in the week with the White Sox. The Chicago White Sox have uh, some tension, some tension going on in that locker room. Uh, it happened, I believe, Monday night. Your mean Mercedes. Late in the game, they were up double-digit runs. A position player is on the mound for the Minnesota Twins. And look, it's a 3-0 count. This position player just lobs it up there at 47 miles an hour, and your mean Mercedes destroys it, destroys it over the center field fence for a homer. And rounding the bases, the Twins announcers actually talked about this. Uh, one asked the other, what do you think about that? And his answer, I don't like it. In this situation, I don't like it. Which I didn't feel was fair, but you know who did think that was fair? was the White Sox manager? Tony La Russa actually agreed with the announcer that that wasn't good in that situation. He shouldn't have done that. How dare him swing 3-0 in in late in the game in a blowout against a position player? His manager comes out publicly and says, yeah, we don't, we don't do that here. That's, that's not how we play this game. Now look, Tony La Russa, one of the best managers of all time, Hall of Famer, World Series champion, good manager. I think coming into this season, we were all a little bit concerned about this hire. I think it caught us a little bit off guard. This White Sox team is young. 
They're exciting. They play with energy. They play with passion. It's a new age we're in, and this team embodies that new age. They're really good. They're really exciting, and they have fun playing the game. And I, I felt like, as well as a lot of other people, that Tony Larusa might not have been the answer for this team. Now, look, they're good. They're a very good baseball team. But is this going to cause some tension in the clubhouse? Absolutely. To have your manager come out publicly and say, that's not what we do here, that's not how we play this game, and then back it up the next day, uh, back up his comments, and say that he understands if, if the team throws at his player, this is to me where it just gets a little bit mind-blowing. One, I don't care if you... If, if you think what he did was right or wrong, I think the majority of the world agrees that, yeah, go ahead and do you. But to come out publicly and say that what he did was wrong and that there will be punishment, and then when another a, a player of his that also played for him years ago that was recently on this show, Lance Lynn, comes out and says, look, when, when, a, pitcher, when a position player is on the mound pitching, all bets are off. All rules are off the table. For LaRusso to then respond to that and say, I have an office, you have a locker, you're wrong. What, are we on some reality TV show here? Like, stick up for your players, defend them. If you want to talk to them, do it out of the public eye. Call them into your office and have a talk with him. But look, my opinion on this is, do you. Your number's on a piece of paper at the end of the day to those owners. Get yours when you can. Hit bombs 3-0. Hit bombs when you're up 20 runs. Hit them when you're down 21 runs. I don't care. Just get it done. And that's what your mean Mercedes did. He got it done for the White Sox. And I hope this doesn't cause too much issues for them in the clubhouse because this team is young and super exciting. So with that said, let's bring in our special guest. Recently throwing a no-hitter in the big league starter for the Cincinnati Reds, Wade Miley. Wade, what is up, man? Thanks for joining me. Oh, man, not too much. How's everything been? Great, man. So right off the top, we got trivia questions. We got a leaderboard. We got a timer. I'm going to hit you with some questions. And let's see how you do, all right? All righty. All right. First major league strikeout against, who was it? Michael Bourne. Yep. First major league batter faced, who was it? Michael Bourne. Yeah. <laughs> Who was your first major league? Think a little bit. Who was your first major league home run given up to? Dan Ugla. Yep. Who was your first major league win against? Uh, the Nationals. Yep. Number of pitches thrown in your first MLB start? I have no idea. <laughs> who was your Who was your last minor league game against? The uh, New Orleans uh, Zephyrs. Uh, what was your jersey number in your debut? 36. Yep. Who relieved you in your major league debut? Ooh. I got enough. Brad Ziegler. Who's your, where was your first away game in the big leagues? Atlanta. Yep. Who was the opposing starting pitcher in your debut? Brandon Beachy. That is correct, though. Brandon Beachy. That's good. All right. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good there. I think you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna be up there on the leaderboard. That's pretty good, pretty good. All right, so Wade, first off, thanks for joining me, man. And and I wanted to ask you because 
I played I played baseball professionally, but at the minor league level, and and I know minor league baseball is something everybody goes through. It, it's so unique with baseball. So I I have a million stories, and and I know you probably do too. So what is one minor league story from from your days that that that'll always stick with you? Um, I would have to sit back and think a little bit. Um, bunch of great memories. Um, I, I can remember our last. I think in 2009, uh, I just got called up toward the end of that year, and um, we were in Sacramento. No, not Sacramento. Uh, Stockton, California. And I just remember. Um, I don't know. I was the first time in my. I guess I got to play with some older players because I got moved up from like the class I was with into high A, and I just remember going up there and and. and I think we had had three games in Sac, uh, Stockton, got beat. I don't know, just reminiscing with some of those guys about the season and stuff like that, just and learning about – it was my first year really in pro ball, just kind of remembering some of the the moments throughout the season, just talking to those guys. I, I remember there's – there's like you said, there's so many stories from minor leagues that, um, that that's one that just stuck out to me just now. Um, just, just the memories of just sitting around a pool wondering what's next, you know, at, at the end of the end of a minor league season and uh, just pretty cool moments. So you end up obviously getting to the big leagues and having quite the career to this point. But recently, a week or so ago, you threw a no-hitter. Your first no-hitter, really fun to watch. It was awesome. What, take me through that day. So you wake up. Is it, is, was, it any, was it any different from you than a normal start? No, not at all. Um, I knew rain was in the area, and my last couple had been with, like, some rain delays. We were kind of late getting to the field, just uh, a lot of boredom, just sitting around the locker room, not doing much. Uh, pretty standard day for the most part. Definitely not expecting to throw a no-hitter by any means. And uh, <laughs> was fortunate enough to somehow get him to hit, hit the ball to the right people and um, got it done. I know I, I'm always interested because I've heard my brother talk a lot, and, and when he's throwing well, you know, he'll – he'll have days in the bullpen before the game where he's throwing great and ends up throwing like shit out on the mound. And then he'll have other days where he feels awful in the bullpen and then takes it to the mound and, and he dominates. Did you, were you feeling good in the bullpen? Were you like, I'm dialed in today. This could be a good day. Or was it like a, you know, I was not at all by any means. Wow. It was one of those days where I didn't feel terribly bad, but I, I wasn't locating pitcher in the pen. I was a uh, funny story. I looked at Tucker. They were that over the, PA, they were announcing like my my record and my numbers in Cleveland, and they were not good at all. And I just looked at Tucker and said, "I'm due, due for a good one, buddy." I, I don't know, I don't look good right now, but I'm due. And uh, but yeah, it was uh, it's wild, it's wild how that happens. I know my last start in Colorado, I felt great in the bullpen, couldn't miss a spot, and couldn't get anybody out. So I mean, baseball strange. Yeah, so there's definitely something, and I, I've written about this a good bit lately with Fox, and I, I know from a hitter's perspective. And this is what I've talked about a lot. The mentality in baseball can be brutal. It is such a mental game. And, and at the plate, I can go 0 for 4 and 0 for 8, and the next thing you know, it's in my head, and I can turn an 0 for 8 into an 0 for 20, and you really bog yourself down. From, from a pitcher's perspective, what, what is that like? Is it just as hard? Like, can you get in your head just as easily? And, and then you have five days you have to wait and I know, um, you know, I watched you a lot in Houston the previous season, and, and you had a, an incredible year, and then you went through a few-game stretch that was a little difficult. Was that a lot mental or is it physical? I think a little mix of both, but, I mean, you're nailing it right now. As far as, like, baseball is such a game of failure from the hitting side of it. You see guys, like you said, struggling. Same thing from the pitching side. Like, 
I remember in Houston, I, I was on a roll and, and everything was going great. And you, you just didn't think about anything negative and it just happened. And you just, you went with the flow of every game, the start, it just worked out. And then when the hiccup came, I think a little, a, a lot mental, no doubt. But I mean, I was physically tired at the end of the year. Um, and then that played into it. But I, I would say majority, the mental, the mental side of it, the fear of going out there and repeating what happened the week before that you just spent five days preparing for and five days thinking about. And then, I mean, for me, that was the most, horrendous stretch I've been on in my career um I, I couldn't get out of the first like two or three starts straight and uh, didn't know why I felt like I was making pretty good pitches which is just like everything turned and, and I think that part of it is very very mental you're like expecting to fail almost going out there like right. you know it's like and you're trying to avoid it and it's just it's tough it becomes uh it just becomes a habit and it's it's terrible but um I think as I've gotten older and just been around more veteran guys it's, you, you kind of just got to put that you got to put that behind you yeah, that's what ends up happening at the plate as you go up for four, you go up for eight, and then you take it home, and then you step into that back, the, the box the next time, and you just feel like you're not going to get a hit, and then you don't. <laughs> right. And then it's just a right. vicious right. cycle over and over and over. But enough. We, let's get back to the no-hitter. A cool story I heard from it is um, your son put a tattoo on you <laughs> that morning, yep. a Hulk tattoo. Did you – think about taking it off before you took them out i'm assuming that's the first time you've ever pitched with a hulk tattoo on it is it is and i i actually tried to take it off so it was like two or three <laughs> days previous like two three days previous we were in the at the house before game at home and we were playing like he loves superheroes we're playing superheroes and he slaps this hulk tattoo on me and i'm thinking it's going to go away i'm thinking there's no chance this thing's staying on my arm for i mean i wasn't pitching for four three or four more days till then and I mean, I get there to Cleveland, it's, it's still there. Like, it, like it got put on, like nothing's wrong. It hadn't faded. I promise I'll take baths, showers. Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm thinking it's going to go off. And then I was in the training room before the game and I took some of that blue tape remover and I, I rubbed it on there and tried to get in it and it didn't go nowhere. And I was like, you know what? Hell with it. You know, my little boy might see it and he'll love it. So I just rolled with it. <laughs> That's incredible. So you end up throwing a no hitter. Is it, is it gone by the next start you have? And and I know you struggled a little bit in that start. So have you tried to get it back? <laughs> I have. I actually I, when I, we got home last night, my son, he had me like four packets of Hulk tattoos. So I have him here to fill with me. I'm not sure if I'm going to put it back on yet or not. Uh, but um, it, it, my, my the other one lasted. It was a little bit on there on my last start, but you really couldn't define what it was. But um, it definitely didn't help. But one time it was, it's like a one time deal. Are you are you superstitious? Um, yeah, at times, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would say, yeah. What, what is the most superstitious thing that, that you have ever done or that you currently do? Well, I guess it's like, I just like, when things are going good, I try to, I just try to stay the same. I don't necessarily go changing things. I, I know talking to, thinking about Justin, your brother, I mean, he has a morning routine. I talked to him about that he's been doing for 14 years. He does the exact same thing every morning. Like, I, I don't do that. I'm not that extreme. Like in the dugout the other night, like once like the fifth inning rolled around, I um, I started like putting my towel down the same, putting my glove down the same, like trying to do every replicate everything each inning. Uh, that's about as far as my superstition goes. I, I actually remember years ago, and he doesn't do this anymore because he hit. You know, there was one bad year in his career, so he he stopped doing it. But <laughs> right. for like twelve, for like. 12 years every single night before he started he would go eat taco bell he would get taco bell he'd get the same order a mexican pizza four uh you know 
chalupa, whatever it is. And he would literally get home and unbox it all and sit there with food piled out and he would stuff his face with Taco Bell before every <laughs> single start for years. And he'd yeah, know- and then, he watched, and then he watched the same movie every night as well. He, he and then he watched watch the same movie after he finished his Taco Bell. Yep. He'd watch the same movie every single night and fall asleep to it. Yep, exactly. That and and that incredible. is on being a creature of habit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So what was it like? So you you now know what it's like being out on the mound during a no hitter and you were actually in the dugout during my brother's no hitter uh, in right. Toronto, which that that game in itself had had a different feel because it was nothing and nothing and you didn't know if he was gonna get through nine and, and it would be a tie game. What was it like? Are there similarities between the two feelings? Was it tougher uh, watching one than it was being out there because you're so locked in? Can you differentiate between seeing one from the dugout and being on one on the mound? I know watching one, especially for JVs, it was like you, you, you don't want to do anything different. Like, so we sitting in the dugout in, in Toronto and, and fifth, sixth inning, you start realizing, I mean, first off, like, I mean, He's got a chance to throw a no-hitter every time out. Garrett Cole, like, we had opportunity to see that a lot in Houston with, with some of the guys who were running out there. But fifth, sixth inning rolls around, and, like, you can't move your seat. If you got to pee, you just got to wear it. If you got to you got to just wear it. You can't do anything different. You just got to sit there because you don't want to be the reason or anybody see mm -hmm. you mention it or do anything different for where if you give up a hit, it's like, oh, Wade did this. He moved or he did something, and now it's my fault. Now you got Justin would know, Justin too. Say, he hey, would my, know. My bad. Yeah, heck yeah, he would know. And he, he would definitely ask you about it, too. So, um, yes, it, but it's incredible to watch, no doubt. Like, that was the first time I had seen it, and it was incredible. And being his third and how meaningful it was to him, and that, that, was, that was really cool to be a part of. All right, so let me put you in the shoes of being commissioner. You're commissioner for one day. What is a rule that you would take out or add for the betterment of the game? If I was the commissioner, I don't, I don't make anybody too mad. I kind of like the game. Like, rewind like 20 years ago. I loved it. 15 years ago. I loved that style of it. Well, maybe it was a little slower. Um, I think there's a lot of homers and strikeouts. Maybe the game could be a little more exciting with, with I don't know, the small ball maybe being reintroduced. But, I mean, all the technology we have. I would take the technology out, for one, because I, I feel like it gives such an advantage both ways. And I think that's why we're seeing so many strikeouts and, and home runs because like guys kind of go up to the plate looking for one thing to hit because they know we throw it, they know exactly what we throw it, and they kind of prepare themselves for that. Or, I mean, I was talking to one of our hitters yesterday, the day before, about 3 0 fastballs. Like, that's the best pitch to hit now. Like, you guys used to take them, but thinking you would get the, another one 3 1, like, you're not seeing that 3 1. It's so much off speed. There's not as much challenging. I know I don't challenge anybody. I'm flipping things in there all the time. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just a little different. A, a tidbit boring. Cool to watch. Like like I said, like watching um, your brother and Garrett Cole in Houston in 19, they were punching out 12 to 15 a game. So there was an exciting factor in that. But I can understand the fans being like, mm, it, it, this gets a little boring. You, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I, I don't know what rule I would change, but I might would take some of the uh, some of the technology out of the game. Yeah. All right, so I ask, I ask everybody three, it's like career moment type questions. So I ask everybody these questions, and, and your first one is, what was your welcome to the major league moment? Um, I, don't, I don't really know. I just, just being in Atlanta, I, I know I got called up in 
I was, we were in Philly and I didn't pitch, but it really hit me when I got to Atlanta. That was my childhood, you know, favorite team growing up. And I can remember, I, I remember like yesterday when Martin probably got the first hit off me and then Chipper Jones steps in the box and oof, that, that, that might've been it right there. Like, holy cow. I've been watching this guy since I was a kid, and now here I am facing him. So it's probably something along that. Um, all right, next. What was your most memorable player moment on the field, and was it was it the no hitter? <laughs> I would probably say now, yeah. Like the, the no hitter is, is pretty high up there. I mean, that third out, watching the ball roll to Farmer, him throw it across the diamond, and then the way all the the guys embraced me and and um, the excitement and enjoyment that was for. Not just me, but for everybody, just being a part of that. What was it before that? Um, either the World Series in 19 or, or in 18 with Milwaukee. Milwaukee. That was very special in Milwaukee, um, just making that run in the postseason. Um, you know, getting through game seven to the Dodgers. Obviously, we lost that game, but uh, that was really cool to be a part of, just getting that far. And last, a moment that stands out to you with teammates that has taken place off the field. Hmm. I don't know. A lot of golf. No, nothing like super, I don't know. This is, that's a hard question. That's a hard on-the-spot question to answer. Golf works. I don't know. Golf works. <laughs> yeah, golf, um, yeah, I play a lot of golf. A lot of, lot of golf. Spent off the baseball have you, field, golf, have you golf golfed with Justin? Mate. I know Justin golfs a lot. Have you golfed with him? Yeah, yeah, we played quite a bit in uh in spring in nineteen. We played a good bit. Yeah, he's 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 a little better than I am. He's uh I try to keep up with him, but um he I remember he brought a buddy out one time at the Floridian and the dude fires like a sixty four. It was incredible. <laughs> so uh well, I was like, I don't belong here. So you mentioned uh the you know, you mentioned getting to face Chipper Jones and how that was kinda like the oh my god, I grew up watching this guy. And I know you're I know you're a big hunter and I know Chipper is as well. Have you gotten have you gotten to know him any off the off the field and and gotten to hunt with him ever? No, I haven't. Um, just had brief conversations with him in Atlanta. Um, I know he came a couple years ago. We were playing there as visitors. I talked to him a little bit, but never had the opportunity to hunt with him or, or really get into many conversations about that. Yeah, well, Wade, thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been a blast. Congratulations on your no hitter. If I don't see you out there next time with a Hulk tattoo, I'm gonna be disappointed in you. All right. All right, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you again, Wade, for joining me. But now it's time for the hotline segment of the show. One of my favorite segments that we do. Make sure you guys continue to get those calls in weekly. This has been a blast. You guys are able to be a part of this show and ask any questions you might have or just voice some displeasure with your team. So get those calls in 213-537-9339. And Rick, Hit me with the first one from this week. Hey, Ben. Uh, this is uh, Matt from Antioch, California. And with another no-hitter going down, do you think the record's going to be broken for no-hitters in a year? And then secondly, one minute the balls are juiced and too many home runs. And then the next, too many no-hitters. So what does MLB or the fans want, do you think? And then what would you do to limit the no-hitters? Thank you. All right, first off, thank you for the question. So, no hitters. There's been a lot of them. And the first question that was asked was, do I think the record will be broken? Look, the, the major league record in a season during the modern era is seven. We're at six. We're at six already through a quarter of the year. 
So I think, yes, absolutely, this record is broken. Um, but look, I, like you said, why, why are we seeing so many home runs and the balls are juiced, and now there's all these no-hitters and the balls aren't juiced? I think what was happening is we did, we did have a little bit of an issue with the baseball. I think the baseball was, was juiced, and, and Major League Baseball comes out before this season and says, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change it up a little bit. We're going to lighten it up. We're going to loosen the, the wool winding of the baseball. And, <laughs> and, and here's where we are. Six no-hitters, uh, not even two months into the season. Now, I'm not saying that's a direct correlation, because I don't think it's I don't think it's because of the baseball this is happening. I really don't. But I do think that maybe there was a, an overcorrection. Like maybe we need to find a middle ground to this. I have no problem with them coming out and saying, "Yeah, we're going to change the baseball up a little bit." Um, I think we did get to a point. I personally think we got to a point where, where where batters could stick their butt out and swing at a pitch, and it was going over the fence. And and. I love home runs, but I don't love seeing home runs like that. So I was fine with them coming out saying, we're going to change the baseball a little bit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to make it a little less bouncy. But I think maybe, maybe it's going to be a work in progress. Maybe, maybe we need to change that up a little bit. Maybe we need to find more of a middle, a middle ground, I think, is, 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 is where we need to be. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, and I also definitely, absolutely think we break the record. And I think at this rate, we could break it before the All-Star break. So thank you for calling in. And Rick, hit me with number two. Hey, what's up, Ben? This is Matt from Louisiana. Um, I've been a fan of yours for a while and I've been listening to the podcast. It's great. Uh, but what I wanted to talk to you about is the Phillies, man. Um, they are just not performing like they should this year i know they've been plagued with you know a lot of starter injuries and all that kind of stuff but i mean they have the tools to be a really great team it just seems like the whole team's not executing enough um you know nola is great but he he doesn't seem up to form this year wheeler's doing awesome eflin is a is a magnificent you know third day starter he's a big surprise this year and i hope he gets better but i was just wondering what's your take and what's your uh, thoughts on what they could do to get better and actually make a, a postseason push this year. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you. Thanks for calling in. Look, I think you said it best. The Phillies, man. And that's kind of how I feel about them. Look, I, I want this team to be good. Um, they have all the makings of having a very talented team. The offense should be way better than they have uh, performed so far this year. The starting pitching is good. Getting some surprise, uh, surprise years from from guys that are stepping up, and look, they bolstered the bullpen, adding some adding some guys back there that that can get the job done. So what's going on? And look for me that that question is is there for the whole NL East? What's going on? Why 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 aren't the Braves playing well? Why aren't the why aren't the Mets doing as good as they should be? Although they're leading the division, they also have you know have scored the least amount of runs in, in baseball and, and the Phillies as well. I, I, I don't know what's going on with the Phillies. However, I feel like it's a matter of time. Uh, same with the Braves. Same, you know, this, this division coming into the year, I said was the best in all of baseball. And I believe that. I think you have three teams that are really good. The Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies. 
and I think they're all underperforming. So look, it's still early. You know, we're getting into it, and we're getting into the time where you need to figure things out. But the good thing with the Phillies being in that division is that nobody has figured it out yet. They're certainly not out of it by any means. So uh, when it comes to you know a playoff sort of run, of course they can get on it. This team is talented. This team's really talented, and they have all the makings on offense of being better than they are. And I think the pitching has surprised, you know, can has shown that they can surprise this year and be better than originally thought. So I think what's going to happen in the NL East is it's just going to be a matter of who can figure it out. And I think the Phillies are in a perfect position and still right there because they're certainly, certainly talented enough to do just that and get into the playoffs. So thanks for that call. Rick, next one. Hey, Ben, what's up with these new cheating accusations from former catcher Eric Kratz? Can you explain what's going on here and why no one else is really talking about this? Thanks, man. Big fan of the show. Thank you for the question. Uh, yeah, so for those of you that ha have not heard, Eric Kratz, journeyman in Major League Baseball, has played for nine different teams, played for over 10 years in the big leagues. Um, he's, he's, he's been around. He's had an awesome career and has been everywhere. Eric Kratz comes out earlier this past week and says that there are multiple teams doing something, accuses the uh, Colorado Rockies and accused another team that has, quote, been in the World Series a lot recently. So look, here's, and, and you're right, it hasn't been talked about often. And here's what he said specifically about the Colorado Rockies, that they're using, we're using a TV, a massage gun, and a metal bench to relay the signs to the batter. A TV, a massage gun, and a metal bench. Now look, I don't have all of the details here, but this is a pretty big detail here. Having a former player that has played for all these teams come out and say, look, this is what's happening here, and also say that there's also another team with plenty going on behind the scenes that has been in the World Series a lot lately. Let me hit you with a stat. Since 2015, only two teams have been to the World Series more than once. The Houston Astros, twice, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, three times. Now, we all know what was going on with the Astros. So, look, the question of why, why aren't we hearing more about this is, is, is a great one and an important one to me. Um, I, I think when, when, it, when it first came out about the Astros, people were shocked, caught off guard. This is so crazy. How could this be true? How can this be happening? Now we're hearing something equally as crazy from a former player saying, this is what's happening. I, I think it's hard for people to fathom that something this crazy and this off the wall is going on not only once, but maybe twice, maybe three times, maybe four times, maybe with five teams, maybe with X amount of teams. We don't know. But what we do know is that more players are coming out, and this one specifically saying what is going on in the dugout. 
Again, a TV, a massage gun, and a metal bench. The massage gun banging against the bench when a certain sign showed up on TV. So thank you for getting that question in. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we start hearing more and more about this. This is big, big news. It's not just one team years ago that did something. We're hearing more and more that there were things going on, that there are multiple things going on. And now we have a player telling you exactly what was happening and also saying that there is another team with multiple World Series appearances doing something as well. I, 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 I find it funny that, that that's how he, <laughs> that's how he decided to, to bring up a certain team. But thank you for getting in that question. Um, and, and thank you to all of you for getting in your questions this week. Again, this is truly one of my favorite segments of the show where I get to interact with you guys and you guys can be a part of this show. So keep getting in your questions weekly at 213-537-9339 and asking anything you may want to ask about your team, other teams, getting mad at your team, whatever it may be. But let's move on to another segment this week in Shohei Otani news. As you guys know, big, big fan of Shohei Otani. And this past week, we saw even better things from him, even cooler things. It continues to happen. He just continues to do things that are super newsworthy. This past week, early in the week, he's starting on the mound. He's pitching for the Los Angeles Dodgers. What happens? He throws okay. Not his best start in the world. He comes out of the game and goes to right field. <laughs> Look, this is something that happens in Little League. I did this in Little League. The best player on the team pitches and then walks off the mound and goes to another position. The fact that it is happening in the big leagues is so awesome and so cool to me, and I will never get used to it. We're seeing this guy walk off the mound, come his translator and manager come out and hand him a new glove and he just runs out to the outfield. It's incredible. And we don't see that in baseball ever. Something else that happened this week. He comes up to bat and he bunts. They were shifting him a little bit. He bunts. Not only was he safe at first, he ran down the line at a speed of 29.9 feet per second. Elite, that is considered, well, 30 feet per second is considered elite. Not just fast, not just very fast, elite. So this might be hard to keep up with, but let me, let me break it down for you. Not only can Shohei Otani hit absolute bombs and lead the American League and homers, not only can he pitch and pitch at a very high level and throw 100 miles an hour on the mound. He can also run faster than anybody also. He's literally a jack of all trades. He can throw, he can hit, and he can run. And he showcased that again later in the week when he hits a broken bat infield single that gets, not single, it gets through the infield and he turns what should have been a single into a double. He is doing stuff day in and day out that just makes you, at least me, be in awe 
of him, as we all should be. We should be in awe of what this man is doing on the baseball field. And then we get to Sunday. Otani didn't start on Sunday. Didn't start. It gets later in the game. Bases are loaded, one out. And it was kind of a weird situation in the game. They pulled the batter back, the, the, the scheduled batter, and it was like a good 30 seconds before anybody emerged. You know who emerged from the dugout? Shohei Otani. To the loudest ovation of the day, easily. But it was so loud. He emerged. He is becoming a superstar. Shohei Otani is becoming a superstar in the game of baseball. And I love to see it. It is so cool to see something happening every day that hasn't happened in a hundred years. And Shohei Otani is doing that in front of our eyes. Shohei Otani is going to be a player that we talk about to our grandkids and that we say, we got to see that guy play. I got to watch him play Major League Baseball when he was doing his thing. And he is doing his thing and he is doing his thing incredibly. So that is it for this week's This Week in Shohei Otani news. But on to our sixth tool player of the week. The sixth tool player of the week, Trevor Bauer of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, Bauer threw against the Giants this week and had some, certainly some, some things come about that were newsworthy and, and took social media by storm. Strikes out a batter for the Giants and does his little sword thing like he's putting away a sword. And for those that don't know what that means, a sword is sort of like a batter that takes a bad swing and sort of just slashes at it. That's a sword. So, uh, so Bauer uh, pretends to put his imaginary sword back in the satchel after he gets one from a batter. And then walking off the field to loud boos, tremendous amounts of boos, gives it to the crowd a little bit. You know, the, the cupping of the ear, saying to be louder, puts his arms out. Look, here's the thing about Trevor Bauer. He gets it. He gets the direction this game is going in, the direction that I talk about a lot with this show. This game's becoming so fun. We're seeing guys' personalities emerge. We're seeing guys feel like they can be themselves out on a field and flip bats and swing 3-0 and put away an imaginary sword if you strike out a guy. Look, this guy, Trevor Bauer, is becoming the villain of Major League Baseball, if you will. But you gotta respect the fact that he's owning into it. And that's exactly what he is doing. Do I love everything the guy does? No. Do I respect him out on the field and the stuff that he's doing to, to bring access to the game of baseball with his YouTube channel and with you know speaking out about other guys in the league? For example, your mean Mercedes earlier this week, swinging 3-0. His, his manager comes out, as we talked about, and said, that's not right. Well, Bauer speaks up publicly and says, yeah, absolutely it is. Don't put yourself in that position if you don't want that to happen to you. And oftentimes when things come up, when Tatis hit that homer off of him earlier this year and covers one eye rounding the base, people were saying, ah, oh, man, he's going to be pissed. No, he wasn't. He came out after the game and said, I love it. I love it. If you get yours off of me, 
absolutely, you deserve to do it. But if I get mine, if I strike you out, I'm going to do something back as well. But like I said, this guy is becoming the villain of baseball, the villain that baseball needs. The Joker to the Batman. That's what he's becoming, and he's owning into it, which I respect. So this week's six-tool player of the week of the Los Angeles Dodgers starting pitcher, Trevor Bauer. So a lot happened this week, a lot of exciting things, a lot to talk about. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this week's episode of Flipping Bats. Make sure, one, you're hitting that subscribe button, that you're rating it five stars, that you're leaving me a comment if you love the show. But two, just make sure you're following everywhere. Make sure you're following on socials. We have Twitter, Instagram. The video debuts and is fully shown video-wise on YouTube, so make sure you're checking all of that out. Thank you guys so much for listening this week, and I will see you next time on next week's episode of Flippin' Bats. It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits on a 3-0 He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone! Home run! And a huge bat flip to celebrate.